Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from The Lancet Infectious Diseases. Richard Lane with you and the paper we're about to discuss is a review about gonorrhea, specifically antibiotic resistance within the area of gonorrhea. And I'm delighted to be joined online by one of the authors of the paper, Cathy Eisen. Hello, Cathy. Hello. Can you give me your full title and affiliation, Cathy, before we start, please? I'm head of the Sexually Transmitted Bacteria Reference Unit, which is the National Reference Laboratory at Public Health England in Collindale. Which is in North London. Your review concerns antibiotic resistance in the area of gonorrhea. Before we go into details of the review, how big a problem is gonorrhea in the UK? There are 21,000 cases of gonorrhea reported in the UK, which includes Scotland, England and Wales, in 2011. Now, the majority of these cases are from England and Wales, um, about 19,000 of them. And from that, about 50% of them are from London. There has been an increase in gonorrhea in recent years, and in between 2010 and 2011, there was a 25% increase. And we think some of that is revolutions that have been in testing and increased numbers of positive cases that have been detected. But we also think that there is an ongoing problem with unsafe sex and therefore an increase in a sexually transmitted infection such as gonorrhea. Are there particular groups that we know of before this study that are particularly at risk, younger people or men who have sex with men or people with multiple partners? Well, sexually transmitted infections such as gonorrhea and chlamydia, the greatest burden of infection is in the young people in the under 25s. But there's also a problem within a group of men who have sex with men and it's actually those that have appear to have the greatest burden of the antibiotic-resistant gonorrhea. And let's talk more about that specifically, because this review is looking at antibiotic resistance. Presumably, antibiotic resistance is on the increase, which is why it's becoming more difficult to treat. Is that the premise that we're working from? I mean, it is on the increase, but I think it's a slightly more complex problem than that. I mean, historically, Nicera gonorrhea is a very genetically diverse organism. I mean, it's always been very competent at picking up DNA from other bacteria, and therefore either acquiring or selecting for resistance. So historically we know that happens and since 1937 when we introduced sulfonamides it's become successively more resistant to certain drugs that we've used such as penicillin or ciprofloxacin and then we've just changed to a new antibiotic which didn't have any resistance. Yes, there was a switch wasn't there in the guidelines quite recently. Can you just comment on that? Yes, well what's happened here is that normally the philosophy is that in treating an STI, you use a single drug at a single dose so that you get the highest rate of compliance. So you have your patient in the clinic and you give them the dose of antibiotic while they're there so you can see they have it and you know that they've taken it. The, the problem with doing this is that you often do that before the results of any laboratory tests are known. What's happened is that in the past when we've got resistance, we've just changed the drug. Now what's happening at the moment is although the drugs we're still using are essentially sensitive and can treat the infection. There is a drift towards resistance. And in 2010-2011, we became very concerned about this drift, particularly to the oral agent, cofixine, that was being used. And the problem with this is, really, that we have no new drug to put in once we've got resistance to this class of drugs that we're using at the moment. And so full-blown resistance 
has not yet emerged, only in isolated cases. But we've got this very serious drift towards it. And so in 2011, the British Association for Sexual Health and HIV, who write the guidelines, took a very proactive approach and have actually changed the guideline from the oral agent to the more active injectable agent, keftriaxone, before we got high levels of resistance so that we could try to stop this trend towards resistance and really buy ourselves a bit of time before an infection which we couldn't treat. Men who have sex with men, they seem to be particularly vulnerable. Why do you think that is? I don't think that they're more susceptible to the infection as such. I think what it is is that if the infection gets into a highly sexually active group where there is individuals that have a lot of new partners or they have a high rate of partner change, then the infection is likely to be transmitted more efficiently. And I think with MSM, what you see is a group of individuals who have high rates of partner change and it's a relatively closed sexual network. So if the antibiotic resistance strain gets into it, then it's moving around within that closed sexual network very quickly. And that's why the burden just happens to be there. In Europe, we've done the similar sort of work that we're publishing here. And in actual fact, it looks like it's more in heterosexuals in Europe. Now, that could be that some of the data is not very complete in that declaration of sexual orientation in some European countries is not legal, so they won't declare it. Or it could be that it's got into a group, say, of sex workers or something like that. I mean, in the UK, the sex workers don't carry a huge burden of STIs because they protect themselves so well. Specifically, the article talks about data in England and Wales, but presumably there are implications for the country as a whole, do you think? Yes, and I think the data in Scotland shows that the drift is not quite so marked as ours. They have their own surveillance programme, which runs slightly differently. But we know that this is a global problem, and there have been action plans to address this problem of antimicrobial-resistant gonorrhea, both at a national level with our own grasp action plan, at a European level and at a global level. So the implications for this are universal. And the actual resistance seems to rise and wane quite quickly for some drugs. Why do you think that is? It rises, but certainly for gonorrhea, unfortunately, we haven't seen very much waning. I mean, in this particular data that we're showing here, we have seen a decrease in a certain strain that is circulating at this time. I don't think it means that the bacteria are losing the resistance. It just means that we're controlling the strain. Unfortunately, when you change a drug, if resistance has emerged, it's quite difficult to lose it. So I think what we're actually seeing here is public health control that is hopefully with the preemptive use of these more aggressive therapy has actually targeted a core group and therefore broke the transmission chain and that's why we're getting a decline rather than that the bacteria has become more sensitive again. Right, that's interesting because that ties in with my final question really which was what do these data, these results mean for the ongoing future treatment of gonorrhea? Is it the case that we need new drugs or we need to better manage the drugs that we've got? Well, we need both of those, really. And what we're doing at the moment is trying better or different management. So we're using higher doses of drugs, which we're already using. We're looking at combination therapy, and there are trials going on in the States looking at combinations to give the efficacy data. And we are looking at older drugs, which we haven't used for some time. But really what we're doing is buying time. And, you know, we really should learn from history. It's there in the literature. This particular organism always develops 